course, but clearly you're, you're seeing it under completely different or unique circumstances. And just, um, I think it sort of shines for the, for the, co the cost basis per round, because even if you were to compare um, that round to some of the uh, air to air missiles, again, the capability, just not the same, you, you know, they can't cover hundreds of kilometers and be on station uh, for different targets. But when it comes to the, to the missile cost, um, for, you know, at least in this world, um, everything being land-based happening right in Ukraine, most everything, most everything of relevance. Um, it's just phenomenally cheap for, uh, for the return on investment. And can I just follow up real quick, Ernie? Um, I actually was looking at the cost of various Russian tanks last, I don't know, sometime in the last week, kind of assessing this for myself. I mean, to my knowledge, uh, you know, it's at least a million dollars per tank. Um, and in, in that, on that basis alone, there's no reason why um, they shouldn't be just targeting eventually at some point that, you know, wherever they can identify a cluster of tanks. Because I believe each high bar should probably take out at least two to three at once um, with the Gimlers. Um, but it's very cost effective. I was stunned on how cost effective it is once I did the math. Ch channeling P Portland there, some I was doing some math. Um, but, yeah, to me, these are just, I mean, extraordinarily effective. And they do provide a lot of the capability to some degree of that air that air power that's missing there, and that's I mean even more bang for your buck there to be able to provide that that long range strategic um, you know precision strikes. So I'll leave it well, there. Yeah, well, Dr. Paul, two, two things. Just um, uh, a, gen a gentle push on this one, um, and maybe CJ had mentioned this. Um, Russia has a lot of tanks, um, and so I don't know. I'm not saying. Uh, it doesn't seem like a good idea, you know, if it's a hundred grand versus a million, there, there's a differential there, right? That that seems to make sense. Um, but I think you're gonna run up into a uh, limiting factor being the total capacity um, of those, the total production capacity of those missiles and the stockpiles that we can give them. So if the Russians have, if you're trying to take out another, you know, 1500 vehicles, uh, and let's say it took one, two, or three rockets to do that. I mean, there's another assumption here that, that that's targeting, but let me get to that for a second. Um, it's probably not going to be, it's not that it's not economical. Uh, it, they're going for high priority targets uh, because that doesn't constrain the missile supply. If you gave them five, if your stockpile was the ability to give 5,000 of these, that's great. But if you took 5,000 and just used it on a tank, um, you're, you're, you're sort of, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're robbing Paul to, to pay Peter, sort of. Um, and I think you'd come up against that constraint for total um, missile supply, which, while is more than adequate for the situation of high-value targets, is probably not uh, as adequate to, to do that many strikes on vehicles just because the Russians have so many to replace. Um, but the second piece that I was going to add, um, CJ can maybe speak to this. I don't know uh, for a moving target. I don't know. And maybe Portland could, could talk, could speak to this they're hitting static targets with known intelligence and known coordinates. So they're really playing to the sweet spot um, of the, the system capability. That is something that cannot evade it. So if a vehicle is in motion, uh, I can't speak to it, maybe Portland County or CJ, uh, the not only getting a targeting solution, meaning a real-time targeting solution would be harder than getting in near real-time intelligence and knowing a known coordinate and giving it to the missile. That That's what they've been doing. It might be difficult to get uh, I don't know if these are compatible with lasing solutions or other uh, real-time targeting solutions. So that may be another factor in terms of uh, even if there were enough missile supply, why this may not be used for that. Might be used more for the cluster munition to take out, say, a column of tanks that's known in this vicinity, and then they'll use a, a cluster munition off the rocket um, 
as opposed to a precision strike, you know, one rocket per tank or two rockets, but more of a cluster effect. Uh, but Portland, did you want to add anything on there? I, I was just going to say real quick, Gertie, it, CJ did say that they cannot hit moving targets. Um, I, I believe we, that question has been asked, and I was just going to say real quick before Portland hops in, and I'm not advocating that they should go out and strike every tank. What I'm saying, I guess, is, um, you know, for any potential offensive, if there's a, a sticky part in the line that they need to bust through, um, maybe that's a, a advantageous asset to use against that point, maybe. Uh, to, yeah, but you're absolutely right. It, there is supply constraints. However, um, you know, I don't know what the supplies are, and I'm going to look at the defense budget for the United States and kind of see what's, how much has been given because then you can back calculate potentially based on dollars how many total rockets are uh, in, potentially included there if that's level of detail is in there. But, yeah, I was just to be clear, I was advocating that we go out and uh, target 2,000 tanks just to say that um, it, it is cost-effective and to be used against almost anything. So that, I think that was my only point. Thanks. I think CJ might have gotten on here earlier, um, to, or maybe a day ago, that you're, they're they're probably going to be um, they're probably going to be crucial in a counteroffensive if they're used with the, the cluster munitions to suppress um, enemy columns and whether it's enemy personnel or enemy um, units and armor, right? But more less from a precision strike capability, less from a deep strike capability, less from a, a precision. Um, known coordinate and more for um, area fire uh, and cluster munitions. Portland? Uh, I, I think you guys covered it. Okay. All right. Well, we're getting some questions. Um, let's do that transition then. Since um, since Dr. Paul asked about Nova Kokoka, um, let's just, without further ado, just go into it and talk about maybe uh, what it looks like we were looking at Portland, if you want to give the rundown on that, and then maybe ask the rest of the questions for the people that came up here. Oh, I've kind of been hogging the uh, spotlight a little bit. Should we let uh, John handle this next bit? If he stays stable, John, go ahead. Uh, I, well, I had my hand up. I had a series of follow-ups regarding the uh, the, uh, the strike against the command center. Uh, but if we want to move directly to the to the depot explosion, we can do so. Why no, don't John, we, ask your questions? Why don't Why don't we go through the hands that we have here, but take no new hands on the subject of the command post? Because I'm running out of interesting things to say. Good idea for me. Um, my follow-up, the main thing was going to be um, in, in regards to using the, the Tochkuus and the HIMARS in coordination with one another to uh, confuse Russian air defenses. Um, Gurney had briefly referenced using uh, GRODs. Um, get, given the range implications here, w- would launching Smirch at the same time as HIMARS potentially be effective in um, uh, confusing Russian air defense assets? Yeah, I you know I think it probably would be. Um, I think that that would probably be more advantageous than using Grad specifically because that's that's really constraining your range much too much. But you're you're adding a third factor that has to be planned around, and the more different um, mutually insoluble problems you can force the Russians to deal with simultaneously, the better. Yeah, that was my uh, main follow-up on that. I also wanted to briefly point out in a bit of a little bit of breaking news: strikes currently ongoing against Kadivka. Um, there was about a uh, local Ukrainian resident tweeted out about twenty minutes ago that about five high Mars, uh, <clears throat> presumably in thirty ones, landed about a hundred meters from his house. It, it apparently dead center of some Russian grouping in the middle of a field. Yeah, I'm looking at that as well. Uh, the the reports are saying that they hit another command post which is um, fantastic. 
And then I had another question for you that's related to the the ammo depot. So that's launched into that. I actually have to hop off in my 10 minutes. So um, try and move through this a little bit quickly on my end. Um, so my, your Portland, you probably have a be- somewhat better understanding of the events than I do. Um, they struck a very, very large ammunition, ammunition depot. Um, I believe it was just north of Novokovka, correct me on that, Portland? Uh, yeah, just north of Novokovka. It looks like it was sort of about halfway between Novokovka and uh, Shilova Balka. Understood. So the Ukrainians originally reported that um, uh, 200 Smirch 300 millimeter rockets were being stored there, um, along with at least 50 fuel trucks. Um, so fun time. Uh, leave it to the Russians to store their um, uh, gasoline or diesel in the exact same place they store their uh, rockets and associated rocket warheads. Um, so good on them. And uh, predictably massive explosion. Uh, the Russians claimed in about the ne- about the hour following the strike, um, like five Russian state media outlets came out and offered five completely different explanations. Uh, most amusing one was they were claiming was the potassium nitrate explosion, um, which I uh, I doubt for a number of reasons. As someone that has uh, uh, lit uh, potassium nitrate on fire. So, yeah. Oh, John. Oh, John. The the ATF is going to come after you. No, it was done in the chemistry class. It was all good, folks. He's a rocketry student. Uh, John, tell us what that looks like to light potassium nitrate or something. Explain to us. I've never seen that uh, before. So it, 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 it depends. So if you, if you, let's say if you just have like a campfire, some other, you know, generic flame source, if you toss some potassium nitrate in there, you'll get a purplish flame. Um, that being said, that isn't always the case if it's, you know, pre-mixed with certain fuels, like in my case, pre-mixed with sorbitol, which is a sugar and acts as a fuel. There's no purple. It's kind of like orange um, and very black and sooty as well. So it does kind of depend. That being said, um, I'm not seeing any purple in that cloud um, of combustion products. And in any case, it was at night. So doing color analysis would be very tricky also because of the ongoing fire. Um, but doesn't really seem to look like a potassium nitrate explosion. And given the size of it, um, I, 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 can't, I tend to believe the, uh, the smirch explanation and the fuel trucks. Thank you, John. Uh, with that, we'll go to hands. I'm not 100% sure on the order, but we'll start with Constantine. Constantine, go ahead. So I'm sorry. Uh, I was a bit... Uh, I wanted uh, to add uh, one small thing to the Himara's discussion, but it was uh, it's too late, I think. Uh, and uh, I just, I'll pass to whoever is next, sorry. No worries, Constantine, it's fine. Uh, next we'll go to, we'll do Liberal, Dr. Brain Gunther. Liberal, go ahead. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Uh, I have a question for Portland. If, oh, he's still there. Uh, Portland, it was reported that Lithuania uh, transferred um, M113 Bradley fighting vehicles and M1A2 tanks to Ukraine are we seeing the West go balls to the wall, like, let's get this fucking war done. Do you um, have an opinion on that? So I haven't seen those reports yet. If they are confirmed by a credible source, that would be a very, very significant development. And um, I'm, I'm interested considering that that would tend to confirm 
um, some of my predictions from last week. I'm going to DM you. I'm going to DM you the uh, the link, and uh, you can determine for yourself. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I I may uh, may ask one thing. Uh, did you say M113s, and what what was another piece of equipment? Uh, liberal. Constantine, that was me. Um, yeah, it was reported by um, TRXPXA. I don't know how to pronounce that. And there was a video shot of a train reportedly coming from Poland into Ukraine with these vehicles uh, being donated. So that was uh, what I was seeing. So, yeah, yeah, I think I, think I know. Uh, what was the vehicle? So M- M- M113s and what, what else was there? Uh, Bradley fighting vehicles and uh, M1A2 Abrams tank. Oh, I, I think I, I can add to this then. I think I understand which train it was. They all were painted in tan, right? And uh, there was one uh, uh, one cart that, that was... Uh, like a passenger cart in front of it. Uh, if if I'm not wrong, uh, that was actually uh, the uh, program to exchange uh, to uh, f- those vehicles were intended for Poland, not for Ukraine. So uh, it was like more of exchange program. Okay, so it was uh, backfilling Poland for their weapons contributions to Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't vehicles moving to Ukraine. The, the the post was very confusing, and I spent a lot of like maybe uh, I spent some time trying to decipher it and understand the roots of, and why uh, the, the the post sounded it's like uh, the uh, this equipment is moving towards Ukraine uh, from Poland. And in the end, it turned out that uh, this is equipment that is moving uh, in Poland, uh, not to Ukraine, but like towards you know the the border because there are military bases. It it was not moving into Ukraine, and it's not uh, uh, equipment designated to to cross the border. Thank you, Constantine. I was uh, you know hopeful that it was uh, an accurate report. But that makes sense. So this actually is significant anyway, because um, what Poland has been doing is that they have been donating their PT-1720s to Ukraine Ukraine. Um, in exchange for backfill of Western standard gear um, from other NATO uh, partners. So if this is a shipment that is going to free up those Twardies, uh, more Twardies, in fact, that's still very important because the Twardie is head and shoulders better than anything the Russians have. And that, that's probably, in the grand scheme of things, more useful than a relatively small number of Bradleys and, and Abrams. Yeah, we call it horse trading. Okay, well, I think someone said uh, Poland, and uh, I think Mikolai uh, came up here. Mikolai, did you want to add to that? Yep. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, <laughs> probably uh, those Abrams we saw, it was the uh, Abrams, because Poland uh, have right now ordered 250 uh, M1A2 the last version, I don't remember exactly what its name, 
Good evening, everyone. Uh, my question is about um, uh, the effectiveness against HIMARS against S300s and S400s, and uh, if it's actually true that they can't defeat them and they have to move uh, those systems out of HIMARS range, what does that what does that mean? What like what kind of uh, possibilities open up for the Ukrainians if the if they have to move their S400s and S300s back? Portland. So the first thing that it means is that um, Ukraine can then operate in close air support roles over the front lines. So the S-300, S-400 have monstrously long range, but in order to be operated at those long range, those kinds of long ranges, you need to cue the launcher onto a target by an offboard targeting asset like an airborne early warning radar. If we are now looking at a situation where they can't be positioned close enough to the front to actually cover uh, nearby units with their own radars, then basically they go from being 300-kilometer range missiles to... Oh, roughly 20 to 25 kilometer range missiles because they just can't see any targets that are further away than that. And Ukraine can impose uh, a huge amount of additional burden on the Russians in that their integrated air defense system then only works when, um, when they have airborne early warning radars. These missile systems are intended to be operated quite remote from one another. So if you think about it additionally, uh, if you've got two surface-to-air missile sites that you know um, don't have the benefit of an airborne early warning radar and are therefore limited in their range by the curvature of the Earth, and you can see where they are because they're radiating. And they have to be radiating because they don't have off-board sensors to allow them to operate in a listening mode. Pardon me. Then all you need to do is find the fold in the terrain or the hill that you need to fly under in order to actually bypass those defenses entirely. 
So it becomes quite practical that Ukraine could start using its um, its aircraft in a much more aggressive, um, much much deeper behind the lines kind of a role than they currently are able to do. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, and I, I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, w- w- one thing here that I wanted to add about the S three hundred, S four hundred. Those systems were never designed to intercept anything like HIMARS. Uh, not even HIMARS, they were never designed to intercept anything like MLRS systems in general. Uh, those are MLRS uh, systems such as HIMARS, except you know when HIMARS is firing at ACMS, but that's not ML- MLRS. That's not a multiple, um, multiple uh, uh, rocket system. It's, it's just one. So it's not designed to intercept those systems, and it's uh, virtually uh, there are no systems that that can do that. Uh, you know, on the books, on the paper, uh, Tor and the multiple S three hundreds, maybe if you add to that, uh, Panzer systems can do that. But uh, in, 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 on practice, you know, you can check out how that works on Snake Island. Uh, there is nothing that uh, can intercept multiple uh, barrages that you know uh, that come in uh, that are as cheap as uh, MLRS systems, uh, because first of all you can launch them, uh, you know, g- uh, Gimlers, how they call them. Uh, it's uh, it's an expensive system, but if you launch, uh, for example, not Gimlers, you launch something cheaper. You launch Smerge uh, that can uh, work uh, just as uh, with the same distance. Uh, the uh, S300 will have same same problem intercepting it, and those those uh, rockets are cheap, so intercepting them is is pretty hard. Uh, S300 or S400 systems, you know, they have uh, cubes of four, uh, four to six, maybe eight launchers, uh, and the battery may have up to 16, and reloading them takes loads of time. So if you have enough uh, batteries that are uh, cheap batteries that are in cheap rockets, uh, they will over- overwhelm these systems uh, just like without absolutely any problem. So uh, trying to build a system that you know can uh, intercept uh, everything, uh, every missile is is hell of uh, of a deal. Uh, that's what uh, Israel tried to do, you know, to intercept the Grad missiles, to intercept every project. All that flies from the Gaza Strip towards the towards the Israel, and they did that successfully. But each uh, each shot for them cost like. Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and uh, having enough of those is is even for them is not uh, is not feasible. So it works for them only as long as uh, there are not you know it's it's not a war. It's just you know some guerrillas that got those systems firing a couple of them. Uh, as soon as they will have uh, you know three batteries uh, riding around and fighting the barrages endlessly, uh, those systems will be overwhelmed. So it makes no sense essentially in the in the uh, long term, in not even in the long term, strategic, strategically and tactically, uh, to even try to intercept them. 
the the other tactics to do that would be um, like to try to disperse and make the use of the systems like that uh, less effective. That that's the only thing, and uh, and make sure that they don't know where to shoot. Those are those are the mitigations that uh, uh, they can use. But uh, they're thankfully not smart enough to do that. Thank you, Constantine. And uh, we'll go to John. John has a quick uh, question, uh, and then he's going to go to bed. So go ahead, John. Uh, thank you, Joseph. Uh, I was just going to say briefly in regards to the, the video that was uh, being discussed with, with the brothers and the Abrams. Um, the source on that was Truha. It's a Russian-language Ukrainian news source. Uh, be very wary with them. They're extremely hit and miss. Um, if you follow Ukrainian social media on Twitter to any extent, um, you might pick up on that. There, There is many a complaint to be had about them, as I understand it. Um, so be careful with them. Take everything they say with a deep, not everything, but take, unless they're quoting a uh, in detail a more reliable source, take what they say with a little bit of salt, just a heads up. Any uh, comments on that, uh, Portland or Gurney? Oh, that's... Uh, no. that- awareness which um is completely beyond. constantine would you agree that uh truha as a source is uh should be taken with some salt sorry could you, could you repeat that i missed the first part uh the, the ukraine it was well, it's a russian language ukrainian uh like new source uh, truha i believe that's how it's pronounced that's belarusian source that's not uh that's a belarusian channel belarus sorry not belarusian belarus uh, channel that, that does it, and it's an important one, but it's not um, definitely not uh, one of the key sources at the moment. At the start, they had pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good coverage because they had multiple channels, uh, but uh, not right now. I think right now, uh, uh, the uh, the importance of. of uh, sorry, it's not it, it's not Belarus. It, it's Russian. Yeah, I, I I thought you were talking about Nechta. That that's different one. Uh, I'm really sorry, I misunderstood that. But uh, for uh, Truha, it's a uh, pretty large um, news source, but it's mostly uh, uh, based on open source, and uh, like uh, you know, people sending pictures. Um, you know, oh, and uh, if you see something, you report it. Um, but uh, that's uh, it has a problem that when uh, the fighting was going on in the fields, um, there is not that much open source working. So that's when they started fading away, and that's when you know more people who have uh, internal connections with the with the with the military you know and can ask and get get actual information that's when it started they started losing their their you know uh, audience but uh truha is is a really important channel and is there and if you looking for something open source it's usually end up over there as one of the uh, or one of the first sources um i'm not sure that i answered right this but uh, that's that's my opinion. Any uh, follow-up there, John? Uh, no, thank you very much, Constantine. Uh, appreciate the clarification. I'd, I'd seen uh, a number of uh, Ukrainians on Twitter complaining about its accuracy on various occasions. So I just wanted to ask you about it. Yeah, it's a uh, truha. Is just you know, it's like uh, 
you can imagine a uh, yellow pages you know that that uh, uh, you see something was the hot topic and you make a big head and, and you post it uh, so that that's how they work so what they don't they don't really care about credibility they don't really care about uh, um you know all real reporting but sometimes they get real like first-hand news so um you can you know uh make out of it uh whatever like you have to think for yourself you know it's just an aggregate of uh, of open source messages that uh, that uh, that is in Ukraine, so you you just have to be really careful with that. So uh, we have uh, Boris joining us, and uh, getting a lot a lot of people are are saying, "Oh, I miss Boris." So I'm going to let Boris speak up real quick. Go ahead, Boris. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, somehow I lost this group. Uh, maybe I was upset with something. I disconnect from it, and I forgot about it. Then I recalled it, and wow, you're still here, and I'm, it's very good actually. Uh, happy you are still here. So you're talking now about, by the way, about uh, Russian-speaking uh, media. And uh, I don't know if you discussed a very interesting phenomenon when um, a lot of young uh, voices from uh, Echo of Moscow and other Moscow-based uh, stations moved to Baltic republics, moved to Germany, moved to Italy, after the war start, and they actually uh, started own very successful YouTube channel. And I'm listening to some of those, many of those, and such personalities like Plushchev, like Mike Naki, um, and others. Um, they actually have, a, you know, they became more free after moving out of Moscow. They were always kind of liberal. Russians very liberal, but they were limited because of, you know, authoritarian regime. But now it is totalitarian and basically Nazis regime in Moscow. So they moved out, of course, because, for example, Michael Naki, one of those young voices of Moscow, he got criminal um, criminal um, case against him opened. And what is interesting? Uh, I have actually two questions. If anyone beside me listening to those voices now, because they are super successful now, by the way, it's Russian-speaking voices, so maybe asking Konstantin. And uh, one of the most successful uh, voices from Moscow now living in Baltic republics in Lithuania, Michael Naki, he has this... Uh, he became um, promoter, not promoter, but proponent of... Uh, separation of Russia to different national republics openly now, because he, first of all, he has already a criminal case against him because of different uh, issue uh, with uh, Putin. And uh, now he absolutely free in Baltic republics. He says, yep, see, he actually said it just to yesterday or today even. He said, yeah, I don't see reason why Russia has to remain one state. And he is very, very smart thinker by the way. He has many reasons to say that. So, uh, for, yeah, Konstantin or whoever uh, who can listen in Russian, well, did you hear about those Boris, guys? Boris, real quick here, we, real quick, we'll get to those questions uh, for Konstantin there for the people on the panel. We're, we're very happy to have you back here. Um, two, two questions. Uh, I know you um, um, have, have liked uh, and followed the Walter Report. 
Um, just double check there if anyone else, uh, please share and retweet the space, but for us to you specifically so we can get you back in the group here. Um, maybe the, the mute button might be on for Walter Report because you've got it followed. Uh, but I don't know if that plays into anything for the space if you're not able to see us. But yeah, but please check that because we'd like to have you see. I mean, clearly we're here 24-7, but uh, we'd like to be top and present on your mind. Uh, so while you're doing that, I'll just send it right back to you uh, into those questions you're going to ask constantly. So I don't know those people. And, uh, you know, I it's um, for me since... Uh, Probably 2004 or eight. I've stopped listening, you know, to smart bloggers that know that uh, they're doing, you know, and give you, try to explain you the what is happening. Uh, what I like about Walter Report uh, and this uh, specific, you know, uh, I would say, I don't know how to call it, maybe a playground or, you know, discussion platform that would be the best is that everyone is allowed to speak and you can, you know, uh, express your thoughts, express your experience, uh, experience, express what, you know, what you t make of the situation. But that that's like the, probably the only space that I uh, can listen to. Uh, because when uh, you start listening to the bloggers, to the I don't know, experts that express their opinion, it's just usually uh, some, you know, nonsense even even if those are you know pro-ukrainians for me it usually end, ends up like uh, someone trying to uh, uh, understand what is his audience and then he tries to build the uh what he's saying around of it and it it, it breaks you know the entire idea of of getting information from someone so you don't understand that e either you're getting information or you're just uh, listening to someone who tries to adjust his uh, his channel to what you want to listen to. So I, I I'm not I, I honestly I don't listen to bloggers. I don't listen to so-called experts. Uh, there are people you know who some journalists that I respect and who I listen to, but usually uh, you know those are. Uh, rare, really rare occasions to that you can trust. So um, I, I I have not heard of those people who are talking about. And to be honest, from what you've said, and it's my bias right now and prejudice probably, but it did sound like those are you know just someone who I would not trust. But once again, that that's how I said I I have this prejudice and I have this bias against mm -hmm. uh, against such such things sorry sorry that that's just my personal stuff it's not like i'm not saying people should all follow this this is just my personal stuff and this is why i respect the mm -hmm. uh, walter report in this space yeah they have one million views every video has about one million views uh so uh and they again young free thinkers they are not biased they are not even experts i mean plusha is a he's um expert in uh, IT a little bit, but they just mainly uh, free thinkers. Uh, they're very smart guys and very attractive voices um, uh, in Russian, of course. Uh, so yeah, they're just, uh, how to call this, entertaining, uh, but with a very kind of free thinking head. And they're not even pro-Ukrainian. They, uh, of course, they feel guilty toward Ukraine because they are from Moscow and they don't even expect Ukrainians to forgive them just by default because they are Russians. Even they are always against war and they are persecuted by Russian regime. 
but um, yeah, interesting phenomenon. Interesting. Uh, I think it has some future in it. It's a new development also in uh, podcasting in YouTube. Uh, they are very smart in that. And actually, you can call them, but it will cost you three euros. If you want to ask questions them, it costs at least three euros. Some people give them 10 euros, 50 euros, just to ask questions. Uh, thank you, Boris. Uh, anyone can ask a question on the Walt report. Please just send three euros to Maria Aid. All right, guys. Uh, thank you. And uh, maybe Slava has some follow up there, and then we'll get to the other hands. Uh, Slava, go ahead. Slava, Ukraine. Erem Slava. Erem Slava. Boris, Boris, Boris. So disappointing. So disappointing. Boris, when I started to heard, heard you first time on this uh, space, Walter report. I was curious because I was not sure about you, but now I still try enough uh, discovering how how you uh, how I hear you. So you started to hear for you um, you sound for you Ukrainians like a Russian propagandist. I'm sorry, but you exactly sounds like uh, we had yesterday Maria and about the good Russians who escaping Russia, right? They are so great. They are so wonderful. They are escaping Russia. Uh, short words for you. You can escape Russia. Russia never escaped oh, you. That's true. So, that's true. And, and uh, you're sorry, free to... Sorry, you're free, sorry, free, free don't sorry, like I'm, me. It's okay. It's okay. It's, no one likes Boris, me. Boris, no, I'm not about you. And It's not about you that I don't like you. I uh, I don't really care about you. But when you saying that you're Ukrainian, and when I hear this, it is completely disappointing. I don't really. You just sound like a Russian propagandist. I'm sorry, but it's what you're saying. Good Russian, you millions, millions of subscribers. We had this of or millions. This is millions of millions. You should know that all this. Uh, YouTubers, it's accounts, it's just, uh, it's all fake. Okay, they're popular, maybe they, they, in Ukraine, no one listens to them, no one uh, have interest to watch them. It's all bullshit. And what, when you're promoting this good Russian, they not, they're always gonna be Russian, Russist, and they're not gonna, gonna, they're never gonna change. So, so when you uh, promote, promoting this, Russian, great Russians, they're never going to be great Russians. they already poisoned with this Russian mind. So they're never going to change. Thank you. I'm just uh, asking your question. I'm not saying they're good. I'm saying they're interesting and they're talented for sure. Okay, but, but uh, they they give nothing valuable to, to the world. You should understand. Entertainment, maybe, yes, but they complete non no value no value to anyone they just making money and you helping them make money but in this no, uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry let me let me interrupt just uh, to add to, to to this i don't know to add just just to challenge i mean boris why would you even bring them up that 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 uh, just you know it makes no sense to talk about them just you know random russians that are you know having their channel trying to speak for something why the hell would we care about not that? Random, I mean, not random. Where no, is no, no. You said, you, you, what you've said that they don't care much uh, about Ukraine. They're not for Ukrainian. They're not for Russian. They just, you know, speak about some uh, things that uh, have Make no relationship. Money. 
that that those were your words so i'm tr just trying to understand like why is it a promotion or what's and and okay. now it turns out that they take money for if you want to no no first of all they want putin to die today now they repeat it every five minutes they hate putin openly uh, and they did word. it yeah. mm -hmm. no 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 they are uh, honest guys but anyway it's a phenomenon i'm just saying you started speaking about Nechta, about uh, uh, Tuha. I'm saying you that just another uh, outlet, which is uh, most probably not less popular than those you mentioned. Well, thanks, guys. It's certainly a spirited discussion. I'd, I'd probably lean towards uh, Konstantin and Slava. I would be cautious of any, you know, young, trendy Russian YouTubers. Um, I'm sure they have things to say. I'm sure that they're uh, not all of them are, uh, you know, uh, culturally uh contaminated by you know russian imperialism but uh it's always hard to tell with these types of things and you know it's it's like anything else on the internet they put a nice little package around it and uh you're not getting the full story and but um you know as uh uh barry said you know it's it is an, a somewhat interesting phenomenon right uh russia's certainly attempting to use these youtube influencers as soft power they're not not these specific ones Boris is talking about but they're attempting to in the youtube sphere uh, cultivate influencers in various countries and uh, various areas. Uh, and, you know, there's also uh, maybe this other, you know, aspect of it uh, in terms of these arguably independent influencers, uh, for lack of a better term. But anyway, uh, spirited discussion. We appreciate it. Always appreciate uh, the Ukrainian voices coming on and explaining uh, their perspective on it. So thanks, guys. And uh, with that, we'll go to Dr. Paul. Dr. Paul, go ahead. Yeah. So after that major distraction, I wanted to circle back to what we were discussing before about the high Mars and, you know, their capacity and their, uh, the volume and, uh, you know, and munitions and st that are potentially in storage. But overall, I found something very interesting from the chief financial officer of the department of defense. Apparently, um, you know, the United States spent 1.1 billion in 2021 on Gimlers alone a billion in 2022 and then forecast to spend 812 million for 2023 that equates to about 11,000 rockets for 2021 about 10,000 for 2022 and about 8,000 for 2023 now what's very interesting is the new rockets that are being manufactured are of a different propellant that will give even more range i think this is an important point because that means the us is probably more willing to deplete the existing stores uh, as they build up capacity, uh, build up uh, stores of the longer range Gimlers moving forward. All that just to say, I could easily see mm, roughly 2,000 plus rockets, individual rockets. Uh, so you divide that by six for each pod of the uh, high Mars systems. That's 300 to 400 uh, potential systems. I would see at a minimum. It, that's like assuming only a, a 10 percent of the total go of the last three years that the United States would be willing to give Ukraine. So uh, Portland stepped down, but if John's still around or anybody else who wants to comment on that, great. If not, I'll go ahead and step down because it uh, looks like uh, the discussion is going towards something totally not uh, really worth discussing. Thank you, Dr. Paul. Yeah, we'll try to get Portland back up. Uh, we do appreciate it. It's the first time I've heard actual numbers about uh, rockets uh, or missiles or uh, whatever they are. Uh, missiles, I think. I think they're missiles. No, they don't have guidance. I don't know. Uh, rockets. Yeah, they got to be rockets because there's an R. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's the first time I've heard how many total rockets they have so uh, in the U.S. inventory. So thank you uh, for that information. Maybe we can get Portland back up. Uh, with that, we'll go to Liberal. Liberal, go ahead. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Um, yeah, I agree with Dr. Paul. I think we were um, derailed 
to some point, but um, I had a question. Maybe, um, well, it looks like Portland dropped off, so I'll go to Constantine. Uh, Constantine, can you tell us as a serviceman, as a soldier, um, what it's like to be on the receiving end of a HIMARS? I know you can't literally tell us that, but imagine being a Russian soldier at an ammo depot and knowing that the HIMARS are out there and it's just a matter of time. It has to be terrifying. I can tell you, you know, I have not been under high marks or anything like that, but I can tell you when you were being shot at by a five, 5.45 uh, bullets and they just AK-47, that's, uh, you know, scary as hell. And when you understand that, um, even in the rear, even at the furthest points, um, you know, you can be targeted. It's it must be you know quite demoralizing considering the fact that you don't know what you're doing here. It's not your land. It's not your country. You're the invader. You're a thousand or even uh, like at some point I think you can say tens of thousand miles away from home if you're from Khabarovsk or somewhere else. It's it's literally ten thousand kilometers away from home, and it's like. It's no fun. You know, you want to go back to your wife. You're going to, you want to go back to your children. You don't, you don't want to be here. And you understand that uh, every moment you're close to the, uh, to anything that is important, like ammunition, to the train, to logistics, to the trucks, uh, you're the target. And there are drones, there is, um, you know, a NATO satellites flying over you, and you, you know, you you don't have control over that. You cannot shut them down. You cannot uh, shoot at them, you know, with your uh, AK seventy four or anything like Crash that. Crash warning. Yeah, it's it's just you are it it it's you know is demoralizing, and they're playing. You know, uh, uh, it, it, you know they're just. I think they have maybe couple of months, uh, maybe three, six months to, of going. Um, otherwise, it's, it's just going to collapse. They will not have people who who, who want to continue the war. They will have, I don't know, 50,000, maybe 100 of people who are ready to do this, but that's the worst going to end for them. But that's it. That's just my personal opinion. Thanks, Constantine. We just uh, had a crash warning. The space may crash. Listen. Thank you, Liberal. Yeah, that's right. Uh... We're running, we've been running pretty long. Uh, the space starts getting unstable. You guys saw John coming up and down every 10 seconds. Uh, that's probably one reason why. Uh, so we'll probably have a crash here pretty soon or a, a scheduled restart. Uh, I know Doman, whenever he gets on, he's always like, we got to restart the server, guys. So um, he'll probably be the one that uh, finally promotes it. But uh, anyway, uh, so actually, Slava and Constantine, I was wondering if you guys could maybe speak a little <clears throat> And we're back. Welcome to the Walter Report. Let me get the uh, panel repopulated here. The time is 1.30 a.m. Central, Tuesday, July 12th, 2022, year of our Lord. Uh, and we are back online. Uh, please share and retweet the space. We were off for a few minutes. I think we are back going now. Mic check. All clear. Thank you very much. Hello, all you lovely people. We know you guys are the good ones. You're the ones that come right away. You're, you got the Walter Report ready to go on your on your Twitter, you know, and we, we appreciate you. You know, you're the you guys are the, 
the the heart and soul the uh, that keeps the show going so thank you so much for coming back retweeting the space all the stuff you guys do we really do appreciate you i'm really kind of sad we lost the nest i was just reviewing uh all the tweets we had shared in there i have been out of space for the last few hours of today so i did not have the benefit of seeing all that and uh right as i was going through it the space crashed on us so uh joseph i'm gonna put that weight on your shoulders uh give us some nice high mark explosions to look at uh okay i'll try i'm not good with the nest but i'll try to put some, put some you're stuff fired that's going on your performance review <laughs> my one meeting with walter a year yeah no pizza for joseph the secret pizza party is ruined. That's right. We always say no pizza parties, but we're going to have one at the very end of all of it. We're going to have one big pizza party. In Odessa. And everybody's got to pay. Hopefully we get Constantine back, too. But, uh, yeah, Ryan, I don't know. It's been it's been quite a night. Uh, I'm sure you know there have been two two major strikes. Basically, every every Russian officer in Kherson is dead. <laughs> like, the janitor is now in 